0: Two nations, a horrible accident, and the urgent need to understand the laws of space right now. Welcome to the world's foremost training ground for saving space from disasters, disputes, and, perhaps one day, colonizers named Musk. By Kari Johnson In the beginning, there was only one. It looked like an aluminum beach ball with four car antennas sticking out. Stuffed with radio transmitters, history's first human made satellite emitted a spectral beeping signal from its solitary orbit for just three weeks before its batteries died. That was enough to terrify the world. The Soviet Union's 1957 surprise launch of Sputnik was famously the jump scare that startled the United States into a space race. But in a lesser known series of events, Sputnik's appearance also frightened many of Earth's non-superpowers into taking decisive action. Facing the real possibility, just 12 years after Hiroshima, that Moscow and Washington were about to turn the commanding heights of space into rival platforms for mass annihilation, a group of diplomats at the United Nations began looking for a way to preemptively contain the two rivals. As NASA and the Soviet Space Agency jockeyed to outdo each other's rockets, A U.N. committee slogged for 10 years to come up with a treaty that could successfully balance the interests of Russia, the U.S., and the rest of the world before it was too late. The result of their negotiations was called the Outer Space Treaty, and in 1967, 20 nations, including the U.S. and the USSR, quickly ratified it. Among other provisions, the agreement gave all signatories free reign to operate in space for peaceful purposes— while barring them from claiming any of the cosmos as sovereign territory. To diffuse a zero-sum contest between two superpowers, the treaty enshrined an aspirationally universal, somewhat legally vague idea, that space is the province of all mankind, a global commons like the high seas. Now, flash forward about 60 years to today, The area of outer space closest to us, low-Earth orbit, is as crowded as it once was lonely. The number of active satellites circling the planet stands at about 9,000 and is rising, having increased by roughly 30% in just the past year. As satellite communications and remote sensing technologies have become essential to modern life, the roster of countries with a toehold in orbit has burgeoned—Nigeria, Tonga and Laos all have their own satellites, and Algeria, Indonesia, and Singapore rank among the nations that have allocated an estimated $100 million or more for their own space programs, to name just a few of the 75 odd states with a presence in space. Signatories to the Outer Space Treaty now exceed 100. In some ways, the aspirational province of all mankind dream is becoming a reality. But in others, orbital inequality is more exaggerated than ever. Given their wealth and America's Cold War head start, U.S. companies and agencies still own the overwhelming majority of active satellites. In fact, while low-Earth orbit is still legally the province of all mankind, it is, by the numbers, increasingly the province of one man, Elon Musk. A single American company, SpaceX, through its Starlink subsidiary, owns and operates more than half of the active satellites orbiting the planet today. In 2021, the Director General of the European Space Agency, Josef Ashbacher, argued that Musk is effectively making the rules in space, squeezing rivals out of radio frequency allocation and open lanes in low-Earth orbit. According to a growing contingent of advocates, academics, and officials around the world, this narrow dominance of orbit resembles something all too familiar a colonial land grab. According to some scholars, it may even amount to a violation of the Outer Space Treaty itself. Which is just one reason why some players in the Global South are gearing up for the orbital future not just by scrambling to launch satellites, but by building up skills in outer space law, the evolving area of international jurisprudence that introduced the province of all mankind concept in the first place. Though the Outer Space Treaty is still the cornerstone of space law, other international agreements have built up around it over the years, and more still are desperately needed to regulate today's realities in space. This is an area of rulemaking where they're just setting up the rules for the future, so you need to have a perspective now, explains Timiebi Aganaba, a British-Canadian-Nigerian professor at Arizona State University who has been instrumental in driving African interest in space law. If the law gets built without you, if you come in later, people will start quoting laws to you. In 2011, Aganaba helped organize the first teams of African law students to enter something called the Manfred Locks Space Law Moot Court Competition. The global tournament, named after an architect of the Outer Space Treaty, uses fictional court cases to train young lawyers how to think through the plausible conflicts that could soon arise beyond the atmosphere— and it is far and away the most important professional conduit into the field of space law. students who make it to the final round of the competition argue their cases before actual judges from the International Court of Justice, the world's highest forum for legal disputes between countries. And since 2011, teams from Africa have become a force in the competition. In 2018, South Africa's University of Pretoria won the international championship. The Locksmoot Court is, for now, the only place in the world where anyone can hear international jurists rule on disputes in space. But with every batch of 50 Starlink satellites launched by SpaceX, and with every new nation and commercial actor staking a claim in orbit, real legal brawls over space seem increasingly inevitable, with stakes that could get very high very quickly. Just consider that alongside the thousands of satellites in low-Earth orbit— there are more than a million pieces of debris hurtling around at 17,500 miles an hour. At that speed, a single collision between satellites or pieces of space junk, which is a real risk in a crowded orbit, could trigger something known as the Kessler syndrome, a cascading event where shards of plastic and metal ricochet through the objects in low-Earth orbit until they form an ellipse of trash around the planet, like the ice and rock in the rings of Saturn. If that ever happens, it could make activity in orbit nearly impossible, a tragedy of the commons on a planetary scale. So for people like Aganaba, there is a new kind of race underway, to cultivate a generation of space lawyers from the global south who will be equipped to help balance the interests of emerging spacefaring nations, incumbent giants, and the rest of the world before disaster strikes. It's also simply a canny strategic emphasis— Compared to the race to put satellites into orbit, the race to become an international voice in space law is pretty wide open. Everyone is behind on this topic, says Aganaba. African students are no more behind than anyone else. Three years ago, Namatai Katsande had never heard of space law, nor had she given much thought to space itself or rockets or satellites. Because we live on Earth, says the recent law graduate, you quite literally never think about it. Katsande, a poised but occasionally rambunctious young woman, grew up in the relatively affluent Glen Lorne neighborhood on the outskirts of East Harare, Zimbabwe. When she was 10, a cousin who was attending a nearby law school came to stay with her family. They started watching true crime documentaries together, which made Katsande want to become a police officer. Her parents nudged her to follow in her cousin's footsteps instead. Katsande eventually enrolled in law school at Midland State University, so named because its main campus sits almost in the geographic dead center of Zimbabwe. She spent three years studying typical law school stuff, like contracts and constitutional law and criminal procedure. Then, one day, in her fourth year of law school, the case of Candidia v. Zenovia landed in her WhatsApp inbox a make-believe scenario that was to be the basis of the 2022 Locksmoot Court competition. Thanks for listening to Wired. My name is Zeke Robison, and to read the rest of this story, visit us at Wired.com. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at Wired.com science.